Here we are once again in our beautiful church. Now, 50 years ago, I arrived as a student at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, then in John Carpenter Street near Blackfriars, to pursue a career on the stage. And my friend Annie Dodd, who's an actress, was there with me too. We met on that very first day. And Sir John Vambra forms a looming presence in the history of both of us and of the London theatre. His bawdy restoration comedy became well known to me as a student. And indeed, we had a room in the school named after him. Born here in London, Vambra was baptized in the old St. Stephen Walbrook on January the 24th, 1664. Vambra's grandfather was a Flemish cloth merchant, and his father Giles was in trade in London, marrying a well-connected English woman. Motivated to relocate his family out of London by the plague and then the great fire, Giles Vanbra moved up to Chester and set up a sugar refining business in 1667. The King's School in Chester, to which young Vanbra might well have gone for a good education, today boasts a Vanbra theater. On completion of his schooling, John first intended to also pursue a career as a merchant, and in 1683, 19 years old, sailed to India as a factor working for the East India Company. This did not suit him, and in 1686, he was commissioned in a regiment of foot soldiers. In 1688, while visiting Calais and possibly encouraging the invasion of William of Orange, he was arrested by the French as a suspected English agent. It was while he was imprisoned in the Bastille that he started playwriting. After his release in 1692, he remained on parole in Paris, unable to leave France, and was able to observe and admire the city's architecture. In 1693, he returned to England, serving now as a marine officer, but appears to have seen no active service beyond participation in a failed naval attack on Brest against the French. And Vanbrugh's first comedy, The Relapse or Virtue in Danger, was written as a sequel to Collie Sibber's Love's Last Shift. Restoration comedy involved quick wit and comedic situation. Vanbrugh's main preoccupation in his major plays is with the marriage bond, reconciling sexual appetite with marital affection and focusing on the distinct advantage of being male rather than female. On marriage, in those days, a woman's property became that of her husband. By the end of the 17th century, the social views about marriage were changing, love becoming a higher motivation than the need to secure heirs and titles for landed estates. Typically, the plays would satirize the behaviors of society, relying on situational humor just as later in Gilbert and Sullivan, disguises, mistaken identity, and misunderstandings abound. The relapse opened in 1696 at Drury Lane and was highly successful. And in this period, Vanbrugh also joined the celebrated Kit Kat Club, 
from whose aristocratic membership would later come many of his architectural commissions. Restoration comedy were social commentaries, embracing the lewd, the bawdy, and general sexual explicitness, and were performed from 1660 to around 1710. With the personal financial support of Charles II, the reopening of the theatres after 18 years of puritanical regime had signalled a renaissance of English drama. The humour largely reflected the aristocratic ethos and follies of his court with its rakes and its fops. To an extent, it was a political and religious critique at a time of social change. One of the characteristics of the plays was to lampoon the antiques, antics of the well-to-do. The glorious revolution of 1688 had made Parliament sovereign, and the audiences attracted under William and Mary were more socially diverse. They included aristocrats, but also their servants and hangers-on with a substantial middle-class segment. Plays changed frequently, and playgoers were attracted by the up-to-the-minute topical writing, by crowded and bustling plots, by the rise of the first celebrity actors, and by the introduction of women to the stage. Vanbrugh's gift was to write in a way catchy to the ear and easy to the memory of actors. He wrote in a style of common conversation committed to paper. And Vanbrugh's second important piece, The Provoked Wife, was also a triumph. In pursuing a successful career as a playwright, he managed to offend many sections of 18th century society not only by the sex that was mentioned, but also by their political messages in defense of women's rights in marriage. In 1698, a clergyman, Jeremy Collier, published an attack on the immorality of the theater, aimed particularly at Vanbrugh, whose plays were more sexually frank and pro provocative in their content than those of his contemporaries, such as William Congreve, George Etheridge, and William Wycherley. Vanbrugh responded with a sequence of free and lively adaptations from the French, more farce than comedy, including the country house and the confederacy in the early 70s. Meanwhile, through Lord Carlisle, who was head of the treasury, Vanbrugh became in 1702 comptroller of the Queen's work. He also became a herald in the College of Arms that you can see in the City of London. In 1703, Van started buying land and signing backers for the construction of a new theatre in Haymarket, the Queen's Theatre, or Opera House, designed and managed by himself along with Thomas Betterton and his associate William Congreve. It was intended for the use of an actor's cooperative, and hoped to improve the chances of firmly establishing professional theatre in London. Proper dramatic theatre was under threat from more colourful types of entertainment, such as opera, juggling, pantomime, animal acts, travelling dance troupes, and famous visiting Italian singers. Hoping to make a profit from his theatrical venture, Vanbrugh optimistically bought up the Actors' Company, making himself sole earner. He was now bound to pay salaries to the actors, and as it turned out, to manage the theater, a notorious tightrope act for which he had no experience. 
Hongrieve soon became anxious to extricate himself from the precarious project, and Vanbra was left spreading himself extremely thin financially, running a theater which had notoriously poor acoustics. Unfortunately, Vanbra had produced in his new theater a vast triumphal piece of architecture with a large dome. Maybe impressed with Wren's dome here in St. Stephen's or at St. Paul's, with the result that plays could not be successfully represented because the actors could not be heard. No microphones in those days. With his wig contacts, Vanborough was also soon overseeing building elsewhere, further developing his latent interest in architecture, projects which after June 1705 would take him out of town for prolonged periods. Unsurprisingly, Vanbrugh's management of the Queen's Theatre in Haymarket showed numerous signs of confusion, inefficiency, missed opportunities, and bad judgment. Having badly burned his fingers in theatre management, Vanbrugh followed Congreve in extricating himself expensively by hiving off the business in 1708. He had put a lot of money, both his own and borrowed, into the theatre company, from which he never really recovered financially despite the success of his plays. Meanwhile, the tolerance for bawdy restoration comedy, even in a modified and less explicit form, was running out. By the dawn of the 18th century, public opinion was turning to respectability and seriousness, with a distinct shift in audience taste taking place. Lawsuits started to be brought against playwrights and actors. The comedy of sex and wit was replaced by sentimental drama. No wonder that Vanbrugh moved from theatre to other interests, deploying a quite exceptional range of talents. Sir John Vanbrugh died in 1726 and is buried here in the family vault within St. Stephen Walbrook. His epitaph was written in 1726 by clergyman Abel Evans, and it said, under this stone, reader survey Sir John Vanbrugh's house of cheer. Lie heavy on him, earth, for he loaded and laid many loads on thee. Amen.